Today on the show, we're talking about recession preparedness. Welcome to Simple Money Solutions Podcast, your path to financial independence through deliberate lifestyle choices. My name is Courtney, I'm your host, and today I'm joined with Trevor. And today we're talking about something that definitely plagues everyone. It's preparing for recession. You know, and, and I hate to be uh, sort of a gloom and doom guy. I am typically not, but this these recessions tend to come in cycles and you don't have to look too far into the news to to say we're we're due for a recession you know the the recession is coming or it, it could happen at any moment so i thought you know let, let's do a podcast about how you prepare for because a recession because we talk about uh, our tagline is your path to financial independence through deliberate lifestyle choices well the things you do to become financially independent are, are going to be some are the same and some are going to be different for what you do to prepare for a recession. Our tagline through deliberate lifestyle choices. And I mean, I think it's one thing to say, oh, but Trevor, but Courtney, you can't predict or prepare for uh, kind of a financial uh, financial downturn or economic recession. They they happen and, and they just happen to all of us. And we they're kind of a threat we don't have control over. But I think the power of being again prepared is that you kind of through preparedness you you hold you hold it all in your hands and the ability to survive that recession well and, and another name for this could be uh how not to be exposed in a recession you know so there's you're right the, you you can't control a lot of things but you you can reduce your exposure to bad things so trevor in your life i'm i'm including your your young um your as as far back as you can remember as a, as a child or a teenager how many real economic recessions have you experienced um either firsthand or secondhand before you were kind of uh, an an adult who was financially facing the world funny you mention that so i i happened to look this up cuz i was curious myself so i found a website it's it's called the Canadian Encyclopedia.ca, and I'll leave a link in the show notes. But in there is a link, and it, it talks about recessions in Canada, and it kind of defines what a recession is to Canada and, and when they've occurred and, and the severity of them, which I thought was interesting. And so, uh, one of the things with a recession is it, it, this kind of thing, and I never thought about it this way, it kind of measures how quickly the economy declines and then how long it is in decline kind of measures the severity of a recession. So if you think about uh, if we go into recession and we go into it slowly, it, it, it's, it affects people, uh, the very vulnerable people right away, you know, a, an economic downturn. But it, it, it would, you know, people would see sort of it coming like a slow wave coming in, in on, a, on a shoreline. But one that, cut, that that hits hard and fast, it, it hits a lot of people and, and it, it'll feel like it happened overnight. And then, of course, the longer recession lasts, the more harm or discomfort you endure. So those are two, two of the things that this, this website kind of measures in terms of severity. So if we work from the most current one, everyone would listening to this podcast is probably familiar with the, the 2008 global credit crisis on this website that so five's the highest this website ranked that as a number is a four so really the only five on this one was the great depression of 1929 so just i'm trying to give you a a feeling for for severity so that being the you know the utopia of of economic downturns 2008 was just one sort of level uh better than that so 
it, it was ranked as a four out of five. So it, it measures this from the peak of the market. So October 2008, we, we peaked as a market and we hit the trough, meaning we bottomed out in May of 2009. So that kind of gives you the, the speed at which that recession hit. So it, it kind of, you know, a window of less than a year, we kind of went from top to bottom. And going back, the one before that would have been in 1992. And I, I remember that one. I was I was an adult and in the working world and experienced or, or, or saw that wreak a lot of havoc on people. That was kind of the first time in a long time where real estate values actually degraded, meaning people bought a house for a given price and it, it was worth less a year later, which was kind of unheard of and from what I understand for quite some time. And then back further would be 1982. And I do remember this as well. Uh, I, I wasn't in the working world, but I remember my parents talking about it and, and them knowing people that lost their jobs. And then before that would have been 1980. So this is again in Canada. So 1980, I don't recall that one. I, I was around, I was old enough to know there was probably something going on. That, that was rated as a one. So a lot of people might not even have known there was a recession in 1980. And then one further back would be 1975. So, and that was rated as a two. Again, it's not terribly severe. So I would imagine everyone listens to podcasts. I, I don't know if I, I keep going back, but those are ones that people might recall. That's kind of a, a brief history of recessions in Canada. So from the ones that you have been a part of, which one would you say has most dramatically affected you in your personal life? So I, I would say if you if you retain employment, meaning you don't lose your job in a recession, then it it really doesn't harm you a whole lot. You don't you don't feel a lot of pain of that recession. So in all of these recessions, either my parents or me and my wife, neither of us lost our employment during these recessions. We didn't really feel a lot of pain through these. But in 1992, I had a lot of fear. I was a pretty vulnerable employee in terms of my age and my place in my particular employment. I felt very vulnerable. And my organization did go through a downsizing and I felt very exposed. And I obviously made it through. I didn't lose my job through that downsizing, but I really, that I was really nervous. In 2009, I was in a pretty solid place in my employment and the, my employer worked for they didn't seem to waver much in this in in that recession is as bad as it was they seemed to be in a good place as an organization and i was there was some downsizing in my organization so i didn't fear for my my company's life but I, there was people in the organization but, but i didn't kind of feel vulnerable or exposed i was pretty sure i was going to make it through that so again if you don't lose your job you you really uh, it, it's hard you might feel some pain of a recession but maybe more worries and nervousness than than anything. But if you lose your job, then it, it's catastrophic. It can be catastrophic. So I want to go back to one key word that you yeah you used when you described um, these recessions you lived through, and the word that you you really emphasized on there was fear, and and you just said it's it's okay if you don't don't lose your job. But I mean, I think. I think one step even maybe worse than losing your job is living in that constant state of fear and anxiety and stress of losing your job and in that stable piece of, of income that can help not only you, but your family survive and thrive. If you lose your job and say, for whatever reason, you work for a company that goes out of business and, and it's a booming time and, and economic times are good, then I like your chances of finding another job if you really want one. 
But if you lose your job in an economic downturn and a whole bunch of other people are losing your jobs, it becomes really hard to find any work in a, neck, in, a in a recession. Like forget even work you don't want to do or work you'd be you'd you'd feel horribly underpaid for. Even getting that kind of work becomes very difficult. So it, it is frightening if you are dependent on, like for me in 2009, I was the sole breadwinner of my family. So I, I kind of felt nervous and exposed. And another part of that, I mean, what was, I'm sure, I mean, times might have been different um, then, but I'm sure that your overall debt levels were manageable and, and you kind of could financially support support what you had to financially support. Well, if you have a mortgage payment, whether you have a job or not, you have to make that mortgage payment. So you, even if you're, if you're, debt levels are manageable. If you don't have a source of income, you can't service any debts that you have. So getting, having a source of income is, is that's, that's kind of what a recession's all about. So Trevor, you touched on two of the three areas that we are affected in a recession outlined in Trent Ham's article, the one we're focusing on in this episode. Uh, this article is called How to Prepare for a Potential Economic Recession. So you touched on there's a higher risk of job loss. It's harder to find a job. And the third piece, sorry, the third um, out of four pieces that he emphasized here is the value of our investments in the stock, stock market will drop, which, which does include, you did mention this, the value of our home. The, the key in, a, in an economic downturn, when investments go down in value, is to not realize your losses. And the only way you can realize your losses is by selling your assets when their value has gone down. And so here's an example. Just say you lose your job and you can't make your mortgage machines and you're forced to sell your house when everybody else is kind of forced to sell their houses. So you flood the market with, with a supply of houses going for sale because people can't afford to make their mortgage payments. What happens when you flood a market with supply well the price has to go drop to entice buyers to buy so if you if you're forced to sell your assets in an economic downturn you will realize your losses so you want to stay away from that position as much as possible so if you're again if you got investments like in, in index funds or stocks and they lose value they can lose a huge amount of value over a very short period of time the key is not to panic. And again, this is not an investing podcast, but this is just common sense. If you don't need that investment income, just let it ride. It will come back. And we will get into this a little bit later in the episode. But I mean, as a as a as a listener, I'm I'm sure it's it's kind of easier said than done not to panic when when you do see these 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 changes happening in your investments. I'm sure it's 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 not your instinct is always to kind of take action and avoid loss immediately. Well, and if you've done the right asset allocation in terms of your your investments, if you if you're nearing retirement, and you know you're going to need that investment income to live off of. Hopefully, you you've done some sort of asset allocation, moving it into less risky investments, more bonds and things like that, that are not going to be as volatile. And as impacted by uh, an economic downturn. Um, so before we dive into kind of the meat and the heart of this article, um, as we're, we're so we're introducing kind of the four areas that are affected by recession. So again, a higher risk of job loss, harder to find a job is number two. Um, the value the value of our investments in the stock market will drop. And then fourth and final that we're going to kind of talk about here is the changes um, that alter our life patterns and cause family stress. 
you know, I just want to go back to the uh, value of investments being the value of your home or your, your stocks. Uh, even if you don't need to sell your home or you don't need to live off of your investments, just the perception that they've lost value, you, uh, you instantly feel less wealthy and nothing's changed. It's just on paper. But if, if you find out your neighbor's house sold for $50,000 less than, than a, a similar house sold for a year ago, you'll feel $50,000 poorer, even though you, your house isn't, isn't even for sale. And if, if you looked at your investments six months ago and, and they're worth $100,000 less today, even though you're not going to spend that money, you're not going to do anything with those investments, you will suddenly feel poorer and that will add stress to your life. And you, you just need to, if, if you're, especially if you're fairly young and, and 20 years away from selling your home, 20 years away from using your investment income, you have to put it out of mind. If you look at it, it will just stress you to no end. So, so the final one, again, um, altering your life patterns and causing family stress. I mean, this one, I mean, it, it as, as, as can definitely, I can't imagine do a lot of, a lot of hardship and damage. One of the things that happens in a recession, and I've seen this happen, is say there's a, a family with two incomes, and in in a recession, one member of that family loses their job, so they're down to fifty percent of their income. But and they, but they con- they continue to try to live the exact same life they had with two incomes. So they they continue to have two fairly new cars in the driveway, continue to put their kids in uh, rep hockey and dance and in all their activities. And continue to try to live the same life they lived because they think this is temporary. And it is temporary, but temporary, in my mind, if somebody loses a job, it's you go into emergency mode. And you, you, you hopefully have an emergency plan of things you would do, levers you would pull in the event of a job loss. And you might have some instinct that uh, this is short term. I'm just laid off and they're going to call me back. Or I've been dismissed. My company went out of business, but, but I, I have some prospects and some other jobs. Until you actually get that employment or you get called back to work, you need to be in emergency mode and, and pull all the levers that you have in your plan to ramp down your lifestyle, ramp down your kid's lifestyle until you, you get the your streams of income back in place. So a lot of this is communication. And, and even with kids, I mean, they have to understand if somebody's lost a job and there's an economic crisis in your family, and, and or in in the whole country, I mean, you don't have to explain to your child in great detail what a recession is, but they just have to understand that we have an economic crisis in our family and we have to make some adjustments short term. So uh, before we dive into kind of preparing for each of these four things, how how we can really deal with them and, and just and just be as vigilant as possible. I mean, I think this whole kind of concept really, really, I mean, yes, there we have, we've talked a little bit of investing, but I think at the root of it, it really, really um, makes sense with and, and, and really, really mirrors our, what we, what we kind of promote here uh, with living below your means so that when economic crises do hit, you are more prepared. Well, and if you're living below your means, that's, and assume you're, you're saving uh, the difference. Uh, there's a lever you can pull, right? You, 
if a bunch of your income goes away because your your spouse lost their job, then you obviously aren't channeling as much money to savings. Hopefully that's the only adjustment you need to make and that's an easy one. So Trevor, let's actually jump now in now to talking about how to prepare for for the these kind of four big pillars that really hit when we when we face um economic downturns. So the first one here is preparing for increased risk of job loss. So there's kind of there's kind of two things here, but what, what do you have any kind of lead in thoughts to your what what kind of comes to your mind when when you prepare for this and you have prepared for this in the past? So the corporate mentality in a recession is this is an opportunity for managers to shed employees who they haven't been carrying their weight, meaning underperformers. This is a chance for managers to get rid of underperformers. And maybe when things pick up to replace them with, you know, maybe more keen people who are are more ambitious. So if you want to stay off the firing line, I don't think you could, you know, just say you thought you had rumblings that there's going to be some layoffs in the next few months. I don't think you can change your fortunes in that small window of time. But I think if you've been an average employee, meaning you're you sort of meet all the minimum requirements. You could take on some projects, be proactive, try to do more than your share, look somewhat indispensable. That That's really what you're going for. And if nothing else, take this opportunity to, to maybe polish your resume, build build some experience in areas that you, you don't have. So then if you do get laid off, you can take more, you have a broader skill set to take to your next employment opportunity. So, I mean, Trent Hammond's article said says that being laid off or fired doesn't just happen to quote-unquote bad employees. So, I mean, saying this, I don't think you can think negatively of yourself if you are let go during a recession. I mean, economic decisions have to be made in an organization. And it could be the, the nature of your work. It, so if you're in a non-critical role in your organization, meaning if you don't directly touch the product, you're probably more vulnerable than somebody who does directly touch more the product. More of like in a, kind of an administrative side at times. Uh, quite often it's called back office. So if you if you are back office or, again, you're, you don't touch, say you're in a manufacturing environment, if you're not on the manufacturing line and you're in a support role, you're probably more vulnerable than somebody who directly touches the product in the first wave of layoffs in an economic downturn. Now, as things worsen in a a recession, I think that the direct employee becomes more vulnerable as you ramp down production. But this being said, I I don't think, I mean, I don't, I don't, we shouldn't be picking our career paths or, or choosing our, uh, our place of employment in, 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 in kind of preparation for an economic downturn though. No, they they don't happen that frequently. I, I I would think you would pick something that you would find engaging and satisfying, not something that's recession proof. Um. So so going through, you kind of mentioned um some some of these key items, but going through Trent Ham's list here, um the first one here is making sure you're meeting your performance standards and. And I, I'm sure every every workplace offers uh, regular performance review, and it's I found it really interesting to read this point because I mean I just went through a recent um, performance review myself, and and never once did I I kind of correlate it to 
what happens when an economic recession hits. But it, it's it's you're you're right, Trevor. You, the connection you made it's it's very, it's it, it really does connect how you how you perform in that, and then when economic um, crisis hit. So I don't know if I agree with this suggestion because I think you should always be meeting your performance standards, perhaps exceeding them in specific areas. I, I don't think this is something that you you do because you think a recession's coming. This would suggest you should be a floater and underperform unless you think a recession's coming. So I, I don't agree with this suggestion at all. But is this not a way to, I mean, if, if you are lacking in some areas, use that as, as a means to move forward and then make yourself more indispensable and really excel in those areas so that when time, tough times do hit, um, you're, you're not really a, a lacking employee. I, again, I, I never want to be an underperformer. So if you are, you should be cleaning your act up anyway. True. Uh, so the second point here is build a strong emergency fund. Um, and again, this is preparing for increased risk of job loss is, is, is building that emergency fund before you need it. So we advocate a three to six month emergency fund, meaning three to six months of your mandatory expenses. If you believe a recession is on your doorstep, I, I would ramp that up to 12 months of mandatory expenses. And when I say mandatory expenses, that, that's where I said if, if there was a job loss in the family, you can't continue with your existing lifestyle. That, you know, the, rep, the, the hockey has to stop. The, the, the dance classes, the, the swimming lessons, all, all the frills, they have to come to an end until you can weather the storm. So when I say have a 12 months of mandatory expenses, I'm not talking 12 months of your living expenses. I'm talking 12 months of what keeps you off the streets. That, that's kind of the all hands on deck. This is an emergency. I would beef up my emergency month to 12 months if I really thought there was a recession on my doorstep. Is this something you kind of had to engage in then when you had, um, when, when your children were in kind of activities? Is this, did you ever have to take kind of aggressive action like this? So again, I, I never experienced job loss during a recession, but I, I did beef up my emergency fund when, when I... I thought a recession was coming and, and sure enough, one did. I, I slept better at night knowing I had almost 12 months of mandatory expenses in the bank in the event of the worst possible outcome. So the next one here is, and again, it kind of relates to what you're saying with the first point, is work on building a strong reputation of positivity and trustworthiness. And again, like you said, Trevor, this point is kind of one you should be doing regardless uh, if an economic recession is in your future or not. Yeah, I think if if this wasn't what you were typically doing, it would you would look somewhat shady if you all of a sudden started doing it when you became vulnerable. I I, I think this is really bad advice. And the last point here in preparing for increased job loss is make your boss's priorities into your priorities, which again I think melds into um, the two of our previous points again. You know, as a side note, one way to really succeed in a career path or, or with a particular employer, as I've always adopted this philosophy, I, I try to make my boss's problems, as they relate to me, go away. Meaning I try to solve them so my, my direct supervisor or boss didn't even know they existed. So that's the opposite of what I would, I would do here. I, I try to operate on that premise that if I, if I can make a, a problem disappear for my direct supervisor... That's just a win for both of us. So the next kind of category here is preparing for a tougher job market. 
So this point directly relates to when it's when it becomes harder to find a job when you're in the midst of a economic recession. I think the the person who's the least vulnerable in a recession is somebody making minimum wage. That is the person has the best chance of going out and replacing their income in a moment's notice. The person making a hundred grand, that person is super vulnerable and in a in a tough job market in a recession. I don't like your chances of replacing that income. So when we kind of zero in on some of the the items that Trent has listed within his article of, of ways that we can prepare for the tougher job market, um, the first one here is focus on resume-worthy uses of your time and energy. And this, this again, includes when you are employed um, and, and even after if you are let go in these, uh, these tough conditions. So this is kind of a, a double-edged sword. It kind of can benefit you in, in two ways. If you take on additional responsibilities at work, in an effort to build your resume, your, your skill set up to put on your resume that you've, you've done all these projects or all these functions and you want to, uh, you, you rarely can you fake it in an interview, especially when you get to a second or third interview. If you said you've, you've done something and you really haven't, you're going to get exposed in, 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 in a third or fourth interview. So if you've actually done it and it just say there's a particular project you took on knowing you're going to build a skill set that you can put on a resume and talk about intelligently in an interview by taking on that project and learning that skill not only do you polish up your resume you actually become more valuable to your current employer or you would appear more valuable and I I said previously that that would look transparent and it's a bad approach but if you're doing it to build your resume I think it's a good idea. The next point here is um, build up your network of strong professional contacts. Again, this this point is is something you can do while you're working, and and help help bring you m- maybe more opportunities if you are let go from that current position. So some people, their nature of their job, they they never re- they never communicate with somebody external to their organization. I, I'm one of those people. I communicate with a lot of people, but they're all internal to my organization. So I never, I don't have an opportunity to build a network outside of my employer. Now, if you work, say, in sales and you were out visiting customers all day long, your network would be extensive for people external to your organization. And and this is the network he's talking about in this, is you're building up relationships with people. So in the event of a job loss, think of all the organizations you have reached out to and, and, and spoke with and that you could contact and, and find out, you know, if they're hiring, you know, is there an opportunity there? If you if you had 75 customers you visited every year, that, that's, that's a network of 75 organizations that you could reach out to in the event of a potential job loss with your current employer. So it, the nature of your work would dictate the kind of network you can build. And except... Uh, economic recession aside, I mean, I work in marketing and the ability to network with um, with professionals, external to the organization is super powerful and even beneficial if, you, if you're looking for additional opportunities or, or to extend um, your, your uh, place of employment. It definitely just serves as a great, as a great network and, and, and resource of, of information and, and just opportunities in general. And just know that you have an equal opportunity to look bad to these people as you do to look good to these external people. So you you have to, and what have you done for me lately? It probably means more to your external network than your internal network. The next point here, and again, relates to the last one, it's, it's make yourself known in the online community of your profession. So 
maybe you can't be it's not a face-to-face contact but more of a kind of a virtual connection regardless if it's actually within your workplace or or outside of work through um, social media platforms or blogging so we're still within preparing for a tougher job market and the next one here is get an education and certification that's valuable in your field so make yourself more of an asset with within your your profession and I think if you're a young person trying to build a career, I think this is something you should be doing anyway, is making yourself, enhancing your skill set through education is is always a good idea. Some professions require you to do continuing education. I know I have to do that. You can do that and, and pick meaningful things that maybe you're an accountant and you acquire some bookkeeping skills with using a particular software you don't use where you currently work but maybe you you take some courses learning a new piece of software that you know a lot of employers use so it it's things like that you can do to build up a an education repertoire and the last point here within preparing for a tougher job market is also relatable to kind of boosting your resume it's on it's about taking on leadership opportunities within your current position which trevor you kind of did touch on earlier but this i think definitely relates to more um, and uh, being an asset as an individual. Yeah, if you can be a leader on a project, you go into an interview. So if you go into an interview and you 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 said you were a leader on a project and you you work maybe not the legitimate leader, and you get to the third and fourth interview, you can't fake the question answers to the questions they're going to be asking. So take on be the leader on, on a project at your current employer, and you will have to solve problems and go through struggles that uh, until you've been there and gone through it you you had no idea they existed in in a given project so like a question you often get in interview was tell me something that was really challenging that you you did and how you managed it or how you overcame adversity and a lot of times it's through a project through a leadership position and you you just can't fake the answers to those questions in an interview. So by taking on the role and going through the growing and the pain and the, the struggles of, of being a leader on a project and coming through the other end with some degree of success, you're just going to grow as a person. And, and that'll just make you more valuable to your existing company or a potential new employer. So the third overarching area of how we can prepare for a recession is preparing for a drop in the value of our our investments. Your investments will lose value, be it your house or uh, stocks, bonds, other things you you might have. They're only losing value on paper or you know digitally. Only if you sell them or make some sort of investment decision will you realize your losses. You don't have to look far. Every time there's a recession, you, you find people that either had to or panicked and sold investments at the bottom and, and just, they're just the saddest stories in, in people losing hundreds of thousands of dollars in, in, in a single day on, on, on a panic decision. Now, a different thing is, and you, even if you don't sell, you feel poorer, you feel less wealthy and you just have to block that out of your mind. And I mean, if you look at a graph of the Dow Jones, again, this is not an investing podcast, but if you look at the a graph of any index, any stock market index, it, it just goes up over time. 
so, I mean, Trevor, this is really easy to say. We're not in kind of an economic downturn right now. We're talking in general terms. But again, like I mentioned earlier in the podcast, I mean, not panicking, not doing anything rash. That I can imagine is not your instinctual, easy reaction. When the market goes down, be it on real estate or the stocks and bonds, it should be an opportunity to buy. You know, everything's on sale at this point, right? The, the, everything's on discounted prices. So this is the time to to get into investments, not to sell them. And, and I think that's really the the mindset is think of it as is not in any, any economic downturn. It is not the time to sell anything. It, it is the time to buy. So getting into trends, um, little bullet points within preparing for a drop in the in the value of investments. The first one here is to reassess your financial plans regularly, independent of market changes. So this point consists of, he says, sitting down and really considering why you're investing and what your goals are, and particularly around the timeline. And most people, if, if you ask them, are, are you in this for the short term or the long term? And, and most people, they're in it for the long term unless you're like a day trader or something. And so if you're in it for the long term, stop looking at short-term activity. And that's what a lot of people do. They'll look at what happened in a real small window of time and, and get really stressed out about it. But if you are in it for the long haul, if you're in it for the long time, look what the market has done over the long haul. Like, don't look at what it's done this year. Look what it's done over the last 15 years and look at that graph. Don't don't look at the last twelve months or the last three months. Even worse, look at the last fifty. Or since you started investing, look at that window of time. That is what you need to be focused on. You're in it for the long term, so always you have the long view in front of you. The next point here is don't try don't try to time the market. Um, Trent says that many people get swept up in in the idea of buying low and, and selling high and try to time the market by guessing when it will peak and when it will hit bottom. Again, this is not an investing podcast, but Warren Buffett has a lot of fascinating quotes. And one of his is, time in the market is more important than timing the market. And that means the longer you have your money in the market, it's going to do more for you than trying to time when you get in and when you get out of the market. Because So just say you, you get out of the the top you know you happen to time it so the market you're right out you're you get out in 1929 before the market crashes right you get out at the top and just say you guessed right well now you've got this big pile of money you got out of the market when it was high now you have to be right a second time you got to get back in when the market bottoms out you know that that's really the game you're trying to play the chance of being right both times i don't like your chances so the next point here in preparing for a drop in the value of investments is if you're investing for retirement, consider having your money in a target retirement fund. So I hadn't heard of tar- target date retirement funds before reading this article. I mean, and I was wondering if you could elaborate on this for our listeners who maybe aren't aware of this either and, and kind of their benefits maybe. So this is where you give your financial planner your tentative retirement date and he or she will adjust your asset allocation to become less risky and less volatile the closer you get to that retirement date. So if just say you started with this investment advisor when you were 25, hopefully he would have you, he or she would have you in 
high risk, very volatile investments where big risk, big reward. And then when you are 60 and say you gave them a retirement date of 65, hopefully your investments would be mostly in conservative, not very volatile, low risk, low reward investments with just a little bit in volatility. So it's really just adjusting your asset allocation given the the time you're going to need the money. And again, this would take away would this take away some of the worry about kind of the volatility the market is experiencing then? Yeah, because you you're just not part of that volatile game. That you you've you've moved out of that and into something that that's not going to give you as big of a potential return, but it's not going to give you as much of a potential loss. So the next point here within preparing for a drop in the value of investments is if you intend to start withdrawing in the near future, um, trends has less than 10 years, make low risk additional contributions. And so this is where any money you're putting in, you would not put into high risk investments. You would go into bonds, sort of low risk, low return investments. So it's another way of, of doing your own asset allocation. So you're, you're leaving your, existing investments where they are, be it volatile or, or medium risk, but the, the new money going in is going into low risk. So the last point here within uh, preparing in, on the investment side is if you don't intend to touch anything for more than 10 years, leave things alone. And is this, I would, this seems like uh, the kind of a really big ending point and, and kind of something that has really um, been intertwined with all the other previous points within this section. So again, this is not an investing podcast, but if you look at something like the Dow Jones, which is the oldest index, uh, market index that I'm aware of, the that index goes up more years than it goes down. So if you leave your money alone, it's going to increase in value more often than it's going to go down in value. So again, big picture, look at graphs for you know 15 or 20 years. Don't look at the three-month graphs. And you won't, you're, I like your chances of leaving it alone. So the final overarching area of preparing for an economic downturn is preparing for an increase in family stress. So the, the previous section we talked about, this is really, I think, for our, mostly for our, our older listeners. But this, this next section, preparing your family for stress, this is for the, the younger people, our younger audience. And these are the, the more vulnerable people in a recession. And I'm, I'm seeing vulnerable in that they probably have the less seniority at their employers, if, if that's sort of how they determine layoffs and stuff, or they just have less job experience or they're, they, they don't have the skill set of a, a more longer term employee. So if there has to be reductions in staff, a lot of times it's the younger people that are the first to go. So being prepared for this is giving yourself as many levers to pull on your expenses as possible. So I, I definitely, and again, we, we said this earlier, but I want to say it again. I think this really starts with living below your means and, and, and taking and kind of just living your best kind of financial life. And then, and then when I think when these financial uh, downturns come, you won't be hit as hard because you may, you, you won't have as much debt or you won't be living, um, you won't be inflating your lifestyle dramatically. And, and like you said, Trevor, you have these levers to pull. Well, in not committing yourself to contracts and long-term debt, 
if you if you have a car, it's it's a long term debt obligation, but you you could sell that car, extinguish the debt. Where you really run into trouble is when you have I'll call it unsecured debt, consumer debt, debt that's not attached to any specific asset, but you still owe the money. So if credit card debt, if you have credit card debt and you lose your job, you still got to make those credit card payments and you haven't got an asset you can sell to extinguish that debt. Chances are everything you bought went down in value with that credit card and, and you're committed to that. So that's debt. So if you can keep debt out of your life, I love your chances of surviving a recession. The other thing that kills people in recessions is contracts. So you sign up for a cable TV contract for 12 months. Uh, there's a penalty to get out of that. You get a, a new iPhone <laughs> on a two-year plan and, and you can't get out of that. You commit yourself to any long-term, obli- say long-term, anything beyond a year. I, I consider that a risky commitment. So any contracts that you're tied to, long-term debt you're tied to, Hopefully these are levers you don't have to pull, but you should be thinking through these things, thinking, you know, if if this recession comes and everyone keeps saying it's going to, what, what would I do? You know, if I'm not living, just say I'm not living below, below my means, just just say I'm spending all the money I earn. I still need to know, I, I need a plan. I need, I need to know which levers I can pull in the event of a job loss. So this section, I mean, it's entitled family stress and a lot of the, the points relate to kind of, um, coping with with a, with a family, but I mean, even at um, a, a less significant level, um, it, if you if if it's just you or it's just you and your your partner, um, what I like to do is I in in my budgeting app I have I've categorized um, my overarching categories. One is my living expenses, and then I have all the um, the living expenses under there, and then I have another category for discretionary expenses. So if if the times got tough. I can simply look within that discretionary expense category and eliminate it altogether. So, so then I leave my my mandatory, my living expenses, which again, my cell phone's in there, so I'm not on a contract. So that way, like you said, Trevor, I can I can decrease the my cell phone expense as well, and 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 really uh, push it back to to as little as I can. You mentioned a good point there. If you don't have a documented budget, I don't like your chances of knowing what levers you have to pull, even. E- even if you have levers to pull. So I think having a documented budget, if you don't have one and you think a recession's coming, start one. And and I think, I mean, I, I it's comforting. It just just having, I mean, my discre- there's a lot of things within my discretionary budget and it's so comforting knowing that, I mean, there's all these areas I can just cut out. You can see how much you spend within these categories and how much you budget for and right there you add that back in. And again, if you have a family, I, I can assume that those, uh, the budget amount and the actual expense amount within those categories, the discretionary categories are going to be a lot larger. So again, that can all be reallocated um, to your emergency fund as necessary. So Trevor, I mean, if we want to quickly kind of scan through some of Trent's points here, um, he says, communicate clearly with everyone involved so there aren't any negative surprises. And I do want to touch on this. Um, Actually, the next point I'll bring up at the same time, find inexpensive ways to bond as a family. So I really like these points, um, especially when we're talking about families. I know when I was growing up, we had a lot of open table discussions around um, personal finance, maybe why I'm uh, passionate about it now. But we, we had a lot of talks and it was really open when their hard times did hit. We were we were all kind of involved as a family. I mean, we, no kind of real numbers hit the table and, and no and, and there wasn't really an extent to, to 
how how hard we had to pull any levers any specific times it, there was no real hardship on uh, talked about but we all we all were involved knowing that we we were kind of we were we were money conscious the sense uh, that uh, a young a young person could be money conscious well and i don't think there's any value in in frightening a young child that you, there's a recession coming you know we could lose our jobs at any moment i, I don't think anybody's getting anything out of that but when a job loss does occur i think everyone in the family needs to know that we are in a state of emergency and we're going to do emergency like things until this is over so i think you can't shelter your kids from uh, an emergency but telling them that, that that you know these are bad economic times and something bad could happen at any moment i don't think a young child's getting any benefit from that but once once something bad has happened you have to communicate that to everybody and i think regardless of i mean of course not when they're not when a child is maybe too young to understand but i think they're definitely from what i can remember there's a lot of value to kind of being brought in on um adult like financial uh financial kind of decisions that were made and, and being able to understand why um, the consequences were what they were. Well, I remember when the 2008-2009 global recession hit and it, it, it really hit hard in the United States and so it seemed to make a lot of news. I told my kids about that event, even though it didn't affect us at all. I, I told them about that because I said, chances are you're going to know somebody that's affected by this and you should try to be somewhat understanding it could be a friend, it could be a classmate, and just know this is going on in the world, and it's going to affect a lot of people. It's not affecting us, so we're not in an emergency, but you might want to be understanding of, of friends who, who who might have been affected by this. Definitely, and it, just that kind of sense of awareness, I think, is so important. Um, the next two were kind of more related to uh, vacation and, 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 and making plans. So it's don't promise expensive plans in the future. And the next one is instead plan and promise a lower cost vacation and lower cost upgrades. I, I like these two points just as, as regular every day, every year, kind of, uh, ways to live by, I think. And, and I mean, I know my parents did this and, and it was, and it made me appreciate the, um, the small vacations and the small trips and the small adventures we went on. Well, a lot of times when, when people are laid off or out of work, one thing they have is a, a lot of time on their hands. And idle hands can, can lead into a lot of unnecessary expenses. And then you have all this time. I, I think in the event of a recession and a job loss, the last thing on your mind should be vacations. So the final point within um, preparing for an increase in family stress is if you do have children, make an even larger emergency fund than you would as a single person or as a couple without children. And I think this point is um, is is more common sense. But I mean, at a more personal level, Trevor, were you were you, a couple, you kind of experienced um, some uh, some other financial recessions, like a few of them in your lifetime? Were you more impacted or maybe worried when you did have a family family to support? Well, the more dependence you have, the more vulnerable and exposed you feel without question. So in 92, it was just me and my wife. In uh, 2008, I, I had a family of five and I was the sole breadwinner and I felt very vulnerable and exposed and extremely nervous. I made it through that without without a problem, but 
I, I, I had a lot of sleepless nights in between. So that brings us today on our episode of economic recession preparedness. Trevor, do you have any final thoughts uh, before we end the show today? I don't want to be uh, the bringer of gloom and doom, but recessions tend to happen in cycles of eight to 10 years, and it, it would appear we're due for a recession. They tend to be triggered by certain things. This one, I would think, is going to be triggered by trade wars between countries. So that brings us to the end of today's show on economic recession preparedness. Thank you so much for joining us this week. Um, Just a reminder that we release all our episodes now every Tuesday um, instead of every Monday. So look forward to uh, seeing us in iTunes or wherever you download your podcast um, every Tuesday. If you have any thoughts from from, uh, today's episode or or have any thoughts at all about uh, any of our previous episodes, you can always contact us through our contact submission form on our website at livelifesimple.ca. There's a contact submission form up on the menu. And you can also um, leave us an email at livelifesimple365 at gmail.com. And we'd like to talk about these, uh, your comments and questions um, as a conversation on our upcoming episodes. Thank you so much for being here with us this week on this uh, Doing Boob episode. And we will see you right back here next week with another episode. Until then, keep it simple. Simple.